Hello, and welcome to Season 2 of the Good Life Review Podcast. I am the host, Trelana Daniel, and of course, the podcast producer for this podcast, which highlights the writers from our literary magazine, The Good Life Review. I encourage you to Google it and read all the fantastic work being published there. In the meantime, however, it's time to meet our next writer. Uh, my name is Lynn McGill, and the title of the piece is The Envelope. Uh, it's a creative nonfiction piece. Great. So I had a chance to read through it before the, the meeting um, today. So, But in your words, like, tell me what inspired this piece? Um, this piece was inspired I, um, basically by a card that I received from a family member <laughs> and that kind of sparked some family angst that has been going on. And so I decided that, you know, some of those things are good fodder for writing, especially if you have a, a non-typical family, so to speak. Yeah, lots of feelings. So uh, it's so it's about a story. It's kind of about your half sisters and perhaps some painful memories of childhood, not necessarily feeling like you're part of the group or, you know, yeah. So yeah. thanks for being vulnerable in writing this piece. I, I'm a half sibling. I'm half sibling. Yes. Yeah. I didn't, um, I found some of my half siblings as an adult. And so some of those um, navigating new relationships has been a little interesting. Yeah, and sometimes as, um, as things happen in families, you know how in junior high school, you know, you'll have two people getting along good and then you'll introduce a third and the two will team up and, you know, start acting differently towards the third one. And that has that triangulation. And so sometimes there's a lot of that that goes on, you know, and I was raised an only child primarily. And so I was not, I'm not used to that those interactions. And so they're all very fresh and new for me, all of those dynamics. <laughs> yeah. So, and, and they were sisters, right? You're talking, talking mostly about the sisters. Did you have any other family um, other than the two half sisters? Yes, I have um, two half brothers as well. And I found um, three of the half sisters. Um, I mean, three of the siblings in adulthood, and, and one in my 20s, one in my 30s, and one in my 40s. And then the younger one I've known for um, most of our lives, you know, and so I'm the next to the youngest. And so every few years, we add another sibling or so, and then the whole dynamic changes. You know, as they say in corporate America, you have the stages of a team forming, storming, norming, and performing. And so every few years, we reform and <laughs> try to renorm again and that goes a little differently every time. So. <laughs> so how did you find the siblings? Like, I'm interested, like you said, you found them in adulthood. How did you find them? Um, the first one um, was when my father was still alive. And my father actually gave me his contact information. My father had personally not been in contact with him. And so my father hadn't seen two of the, had never met two of my older siblings. And then one he hadn't seen since he was a child, um, a very young child. And so 
when my father was alive, I basically nagged him uh, one day until he gave me his contact information when I was in the Midwest visiting one time. And so then my this was before cell phones. And so my father left <laughs> and made up an excuse to leave so I could call him in private. And we ended up meeting and connecting right away and bonding really quickly. And then when the internet was still young and people would post a lot of their personal information on the internet still, addresses and all kinds of things, um, I was searching because, you know, there was a lot of family lore around siblings and how many there were and all kinds of stuff. There still is. There's still a lot of conjecture there. And so I still perpetually search just in case because I feel that, you know, everybody has a right to know their heritage and their history and where they came from, you know, whether or not they want a relationship with people. And so I have, you know, if they want to want that information, I feel they have a right to have it, you know, and know who they are partly, you know, and so, you know, periodically I search. And so there was a genealogy website and all the all the data points hit. I'm like, yep, father's name's right. Mother's name's what I've heard of. Yep. So I emailed the email address and then called the phone number and I ended up getting his wife and she said, no, his biological father's dead. And I said, yes, I know. <laughs> and so I believe, you know, and so we ended up clicking as well and we all lived in different States. And so usually we'd visit right away. And then the last one that I found my older sister, um, that one was a little more difficult, but I um, had an adoption angel search and she said, oh, I found a newspaper article with, you know, her information on it and her maiden name and her birth name because she had been adopted by her stepfather. And I said, OK. And so there is an email address on classmates.com of all things. And I had ended up emailing her husband who passed on my information as well. And so you know, about every, it's averaging about every eight years or so <laughs> is how it's trending. Um, you know, you just never know. And so, but there's room enough for everybody, you know, in people's hearts. We all say the more the merrier. And so since then, you know, the brothers and I are particularly close. And so we go on family vacations together and, you know, one of their children came out and lived by me for about a year, you know, and moved to my area and stuff like that. And so we've been, the boys and I are particularly close. And sometimes that female dynamic has not gone as well. <laughs> I think we're all different. Hard to, yeah, it's hard to break into a pack of sisters. <laughs> so, did, did, did the two half sisters know each other pretty well before they met you? Oh, they didn't. No, I introduced them and they live in the same city. They're the only two that do. And so, yeah. Huh. And so, but we're, we're all very much alike in a lot of ways, which is really creepy. You know, it's like that new movie that came out three perfect strangers where those three triplets meet and they're alike. We all look alike. We all act alike, at least me and the boys particularly do, but we've all manifested our, our issues differently and dealt with them differently. But the boys and I particularly will buy the same things on the same day. It's really creepy, you know, and we all have a lot of the same interests and hobbies and tastes and everything like that. And, you know, we're all just different in height, um, depending on who our, we all have different mothers. And so we're all different in height, depending on who our mothers were. And so, and basically otherwise we're all just pretty much the same. 
you know, but we've all taken a different path in how we've said, okay, this is the hand we were dealt. How am I going to play it? You know, am I going to, you know, how am I going to deal with this adversity? You know, and so we've each handled that in our own different ways. And so it's been very, it's been a really interesting social experiment in nature and nurture. <laughs> yeah, I think I've played my own experiment with this. So I was raised mostly by my dad, um, but my mom was in and out of the picture here and there, depending. Um, and one of the weirdest things is I, as I aged, you know, I kind of started to, to pay attention a little bit more to like what she did. And I was surprised at just a few things. Like we have the same favorite color. Uh, we, um, we eat the same, which is a strange thing to notice, but we eat in circles. (laughs) It's just kind of like these weird things that you notice about people in your family that you weren't necessarily raised with. There's really no reason for you to be similar to those people, but for some reason uh, there's things that you do that are, exactly the same oh yeah that's we noticed that as well you know my our mothers were all very you know they're very midwestern and they were um all very plain eaters and very picky eaters and none of us are we all eat exactly like even though you know one of my brothers has never even met our father you know we all eat exactly like him you know, we're more adventurous, you know, we have a wider range of tastes and we're, most of us are almost nothing like our mothers whatsoever. You know, very little, we're very much, although we, all of us, well, the boys and I, let's say that they've, we all identified, okay, these were some of our father's issues that he had that we'd prefer not to repeat. You know, we don't want to go down some of that road. You know, we'd like our life to be a little easier. And so we said, okay, let's not do that. (laughs) And so we made those choices to say, okay, you know, he was not a perfect human being. And so we can learn from you know, what he did and go, all right, (laughs) you know, my father, of course, having all these kids with different women, you know, he's a very good looking man and he liked women and they like, he looked just like Burt Reynolds and he loved women and women loved him. And my brothers um, were both, you know, they're both married to their high school sweethearts, you know, And, and so very different experience, you know. Yeah, it sounds like it. Yeah, two kids, you know, long career, you know, very traditional, you know, and so they they went completely the opposite way, but they both, you know, we all took his aptitude for different things, you know, as far as hobbies and, you know, ingenuity and perseverance and stuff like that and kind of the the role with it attitude. So we're very much like him. <laughs> so, whether we like to admit it or not sometimes. So <laughs> Yeah, so um Obviously, I'm sure you you know you write a lot and you read a lot. I'm assuming. So, what who who are you reading these days? Who inspires you, writer writer wise? Oh, a lot of stuff. My very favorite right now. I'm since I'm on a school break at the moment for the next week. I had I've had some chance to read for pleasure. Um, so I'm reading Montaigne in Barn Boots by Michael Perry, who is one of my absolute favorites. He's <laughs> He's a wonderful human, and um, I've met him a couple times. I love him. So I finally had a chance to read that. And we've taken a couple of um, long drives. So I've gotten to catch up on Christopher Moore, who I love. Um, so we reread Fool, and then we just finished Shakespeare in Bar- uh, no, Shakespeare for Squirrels. 
um, which is his sequel to Fool, which was fantastic. And I like to read Michael Perry because I really admire, you know, he lives on a farm in the middle of nowhere. And I love and try to emulate his ability to just turn everyday experiences and relationships and find the humor and connection in those. And so that's why I like to read him. And we just read... Um, Robin Kimmerer's Braiding Sweetgrass for class, and I really love that. And um, we read a recent collection by um, Tanayam Bambrick for class as well, a Northwest author, and I absolutely love her work as well. And I've been reading a lot of um, Andrea Gibson's poetry and catching up on that a lot of their stuff. I was supposed to see them on tour and couldn't. And so I've been catching up on what they're doing online and stuff like that. So now that I have a little bit of time to read for me (laughs) rather than what's assigned to me. (laughs) Yeah. That's always a fun time. Um, Yeah. Michael Perry. I did. I met once maybe, I think it was at a writer's workshop in Wisconsin and I think he's from Wisconsin. Yeah. Correctly. And yeah, he lives on a farm, writes a lot about his um, experience living there. Yes. Yeah. Even his teenage experiences and his first book, what population 485 about being an EMT. Mm-hmm. And yeah, the first time um, I went to a reading of his, he had so many people, the library shut, said he was at a Seattle library and they said, okay, you know, we got to close in 10 minutes. And he said, if they kick us out, I will move out onto the sidewalk until everybody is done and everybody has had a chance to say hi and get what they want signed. He said, I'll stand here all night. You know, he's just such a nice person. Yeah, he is a super nice guy. That's awesome. Yeah. Yes, and talented. Yeah. <laughs> I listen to- Next up, I asked, what does the good life mean to you? For me personally, that means having everything you need, you know, um, you know living, not having the stress of living, you know, say paycheck to paycheck or, you know, that kind of strife Um, and having, you know, personal peace, whatever that means for each person. You know, it doesn't, I don't think it means perfection. And I don't think it, you know, for me, it personally does not mean, say, extreme wealth, because I've met enough people in my life to know that, you know, the wealthy are not immune from stress or problems. And so I think it means having the the peace of mind, the means and the ability to do what you enjoy and would like to do and to have the time to do it because the time is important too. You know, you can have all the money in the world to do things, but if you don't give yourself enough time, you know, that's another thing. You know, my father had a stroke at 47 and the only piece of advice he ever gave me in his life was kid on their deathbed. Nobody ever says, gee, I wish I would have spent more time at work. <laughs> and I was a workaholic. And so, and that really hit home. You know, I had an early heart attack from overworking as well and stress. And so, you know, it's like, you can't get that back. And so, you know, take care of yourself and, you know, give yourself that grace to enjoy your own life. And so, yeah, you know. wise, wise words for sure. <laughs> I didn't get many from him. And the other one I got was <laughs> the only other piece of good advice he gave me was um, if you want to catch a man, you put a roast in the oven and a six pack of beer in the fridge. And that advice was not nearly as good as the other advice. <laughs> yeah, stick to the other one. Yeah, that was. <laughs> I'm like, that- I'm not sure. I'm not sure that's the pond I want to fish in, but okay.
Before we hear Lynn read the submission to the Good Life Review that she had, I wanted to read you her bio. Lynn McGill lives in western Washington with deep Iowa roots that influence many aspects of her work. She writes poetry and nonfiction and is also a painter and visual artist. She is scheduled to graduate from Central Washington University in winter 2021 with a master's degree in professional and creative writing. She has two nonfiction pieces scheduled for publication in the spring of 2021 and an anthology via McFarlane and Sons, as well as a poetry piece in Route 7 Review. Lynn loves to travel and spend time with her husband on their Texas ranch herding goats and finding any excuse to avoid being within range of cell phone reception. The envelope. I recognize the slightly shaky looped handwriting on the outside of the envelope. It looked much like my own, only bigger and hastier, just like its author. It was addressed to me, and the postmark read, Waterloo, Iowa. I let it marinate on the black granite kitchen counter unopened for a day or so, like a clog I was hoping Liquid Drano would take care of for me with no unpleasant interaction on my part. No such luck. There's just no way to deal with either of my half-sisters without getting some shit splattered on you, really. I could make out purple hydrangeas on the inner card opaque, just like everything else in this relationship. Deep breath. It's just a card. You don't have to open it if you don't want to. Breathe. I hadn't heard from my older half-sister, Julie, since what, 2018? Amanda, our younger sister, had been silent even longer. 2015, when she'd blown up in a meth-fueled text tirade over my not calling her within 10 minutes while I was inside the county hospice center, seeing my mother alive for the very last time. Holding her weak and possibly pale hand and fixating on the flecked institutional linoleum so she didn't exit this earth worrying about me crying. When I'd walked out of the aging one-story facility to my rental car, the summer humidity hadn't yet turned to fall, and the scent of the recently harvested cornfields was like my own hope, freshly plowed under. I wriggled my nose to dislodge some of the bay's dust from the dirt roads that still managed to seep in through the AC vents. I plugged in my phone, and it managed to pick up a one-bar signal as I turned out of the parking lot. 43 fucking texts now. Not today, Satan. I stuck the card upright between the Black & Decker coffee maker and the microwave, brushing away a few grounds and crumbs from breakfast as I walked away. When I awoke from a fitful nap, my husband said, aren't you going to open it? I'm curious. I wasn't, (laughs) but I slid my index fingernail under the flap and moved it along the seam, the paper separating from the glue, sounding like a page being torn out of a book. Lynn. Thought you might want this picture of you. I have a new job in town now, closer to my house. It is much better. I can walk to work, Julie. And I began to laugh. The picture, what was left of it, was one from 1972, taken in front of my father's floral couch, brown wall paneling, kindergarten, smiling, hands clasped in front of me, wearing a white chiffon dress. Someone had even combed my wavy hair, Easter. I had this exact same photo. My mother must have had copies made back then, except the one in my album had four people. My father, long dead, my half-sisters, and me. The one she so graciously sent me had telltale original rounded edges on the right side, and on the left side, the edges were, in contrast, sharp. It had been cut in two from its original rectangular shape. They had cut me out of family photos and were sending me the discarded halves. Half-sisters, indeed. 
the end. If you want to read more, you can head to thegoodlifereview.com. Thanks for listening to the Good Life Review podcast. We are very excited to keep producing these podcasts and bringing you great stories from our current writers. A huge thank you to our editorial team that is mostly based out of Nebraska and almost entirely made up of writers from the flyover states, which is why we don't want your work to be overlooked. If you have a piece you'd like to submit, head on over to our submittable page, which is thegoodlifereviewsubmittable.com. And don't forget to like us on social media. On Facebook, we're The Good Life Review. On Twitter, The Good Life Lit Mag. Thank you for listening. We hope that despite these difficult days, you are indeed living a good life.